Hello and welcome to Next. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, go to Facebook and like our page. Uh, if you go to Twitter, join us at 814-NEXT. Lend your voice to the dialogue. Thank you all for tuning in. Today we have special guests in studio as we talk about the most recent elections. Uh, we've got one, Mr. Chuck Nelson, who was a city council elect. Chuck, welcome to the show. We've got Mr. Jezri Friend from Sharp Iron Strategies. Jezri, welcome to the show. And coming with us via Zoom, we have Miss Ashlyn Kelly from the Young Erie Professional Group. Uh, she's the Chair of Civic Engagement. Ashlyn, welcome to the show. Good morning, Marcus. Let's start with uh, Chuck Nelson. Chuck, first of all, congratulations on your win for City Council. Hey, thanks, Marcus. All right. Now, you were the second most vote-getter of the campaign. Talk about you know, just the campaign in general. Let's start with what made you run in the first place. Yeah, so I, I actually ran two years ago uh, in the first place. And uh, what really brought me, and I, I probably left this off the, uh, the campaign trail a little bit, but now that I'm in, I figure I can, uh, I pastor a church downtown, it's mostly homeless folks. And one of the guys in the church uh, had gotten a summary charge for loitering and panhandling. It was an ordinance that the city had just passed and uh, led to a revocation. The guy spent three months in jail for staying outside Arby's asking for money. And uh, so, so seeing how some of those things that happen upstream uh, were affecting the people downstream, I recognize that I may have a unique opportunity to get upstream and change some of those things for the city uh, while bringing a lot of different ideas and practices from other cities into the equation as well. Mm -hmm. When you look at the amount of votes that you received, uh, again, the second most, 97.48 for you, 97.32 for Mo Troop and Jasmine Flores, who rounded it out as a fourth candidate, 9,547 votes. Do you feel like you resonated with the voters the first time around? Did you have a large grassroots following for maybe some of your pastoral work? What do you attribute that second place showing to? Yeah, uh, so in each of the elections, I've been in three different elections now with Jasmine. So it's been kind of funny to have like uh, a control against, uh, against where I'm gaining on. So she placed fourth in the first one, I think third in the second time we ran against each other, and then fourth, and I went from like eighth to fourth to second. Um, it really, it's been, it wasn't that I came in with much of a following or a grassroots effort. It's just been steady, uh, steady associating the work I have always been doing in the city with, with the name. So uh, I didn't really campaign as hard as, uh, as I have in previous elections for the general, but in the neighborhood, I, I lead an event called Porch Fest. We, we, had, we raised almost 7,000 bucks. We had 21 bands out. We had porches with musicians on them all through the West Bayfront neighborhood. And I don't do that as a campaign. I do that as a guy that lives on 9th Street. And I think that is what ends up resonating with the voters. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's probably shorter than grassroots. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it is just being a neighbor. And, uh, and, and as that began to be more associated with the name, I think I was able to move up the ranks. I look at Mo Troop's profile with him being involved in the Erie School District for as long as he has, and him being a hometown guy. I look at Jasmine, this young, fresh-faced upstart. Uh, yourself, again, being in the neighborhood, pastoring this church. Liz Allen was obviously the, uh, the number one vote-getter. But what do you think it says for the three of you coming in because you don't have established political histories and on the surface, many people say this is what they want to see more of in politics. The fact that you three did so well together, what do you think that says about the electorate and what they want to see in politics? 
It says a lot about who was on the ballot. I mean, Liz was the only person with real uh, prior experience coming onto the ballot. So, so for us to have three fresh faces, that was the only option. Uh, Kathy Schaff didn't run again. Dave Brennan didn't run again. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jim Winarski was term limited and ran over to county council. So uh, it, was, it was really a matter of who the options were. Because I was in an election two years earlier. And you know the, guy that had, the guys that had been on city council even in 1988 in the case of Brzezinski and uh, Mel back in the 90s, I mean, these guys are covering five different decades of, of leadership. And they beat me bad, uh, so so I don't uh, I don't you know I don't think that this was uh, typical to have uh, a slate of people. We had eight on the ballot, and only one of us had held previous elected office, uh, other than committee members. Uh, Jasmine and I are both uh, committee for our voting districts. Mm -hmm. So before we bring Ashlyn in, because she has limited time this morning, I want to talk to Jezri a bit. Jezri, sharp iron strategies. I know that you've done some work in in political consultation. Talk about your background in politics and just your keen interest. We've had you on the show before, um, just talking about some of the things that we've seen play out in the political landscape. Where did this love of politics come from? Uh, well, Marcus, you know, appreciate you having me, and it uh, definitely started, you know, around uh, third grade. In fact, specifically, grade. yes, sir. Uh, in fact, I was in my third grade Mrs. Carter's classroom, and we were writing a letters to the newly elected governor, Tom Ridge. And uh, I actually haven't shared that story with a lot of folks. And we uh, sent him a, you know, hey, Mr. Governor. And he sent us a signed picture back to Mrs. Carr's third grade class. We put it up on the wall. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And then I found out this guy's from Erie, where I live. And I thought, how cool is it that someone from Erie that lives near where I grew up uh, could reach this level? And of course, we know he went on to even bigger things. And it was actually eight years old third grade Jezri that first fell in love with this idea of coming from somewhere to go in and being somewhere else and having an influence. So that's where it started. Uh, since then, I dove into NBR, NPR and talk radio shows, as every teenage kid does, and uh, moved on to interning and volunteering on statewide campaigns in college, doing internships in college, uh, to running on statewide election. Um, campaign staffs more, more recently-ish. Uh, many folks know me in Erie from being the campaign manager when John Persinger uh, ran for mayor for the city of Erie. Clearly, seemingly uh, a fool's errand until you meet the guy mm -hmm. and you catch the guy's passion and you catch uh, his strategy and he does things uh, just because he says, you know, it, just the way the guy frames things, he, he knows it can be done better and let's show the world how it can be done and it motivated me to put all my eggs in his basket. And from there on, I, I've done a few other county races. And um, now I, I am an elected member of the PA GOP state committee. Um, and through that, I've been able to be involved in governor's races and Senate races and a lot coming up next year in the midterms. Excellent. Thank you for that, Jezri. Ashton, we'll go to you. The Young Erie Professionals. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization for those that don't know. Uh, so like you previously mentioned, I'm our civic and community engagement. So what I focus on and our committee focuses on is being actively engaged with the community and then engaging with our civic leaders as well. You are part of one of our many fireside chats this year and that was just one of several ways that um, or one of several things that we did to get involved. And then as an organization, as a, our main objective is to retain young adults in Erie. Uh, we know there's multiple local colleges and also students 
graduating and to leave Erie. So our goal is to try and get them to stay and attract more younger adults to Erie. Excellent. Thank you for that. So the title of Civic Engagement Chair, talk to us about that and how did you become the chair of that committee? So I became the chair of this committee about a year and a half ago. I was actively involved with the committee for about a year and a half prior to that. And then when there was a change in membership, there was an opening and I was approached uh, for my uh, community engagement side of things. So I did a lot of volunteering with Serve Erie over the past several years and several other nonprofits. And then even in college, I went to Penn State Barrett and was, uh, did a lot with the different service-oriented organizations there. And so since I have that strong community background, that's why they asked me to be chair. And when I first started, I didn't really know much about anything on like the civic engagement side of things. So like that's been a huge learning curve. And right now it seems like that's more of like my focus as a chair is on the civic rather than the community. So one of the reasons that we wanted to have Ashlyn on the show is when we looked at the ages of some of these elected candidates, we thought it, we would be remiss if we didn't invite someone from Young Area Professionals based on the work that they do. And so I just want to read a couple of ages in some of these races, starting with City Council. Chuck Nelson is 37. Jasmine Flores is only 28 years old. 28. Maurice Troop, 45. When you go to the school board, Jay Brenneman, 39. Lauren Gillespie, 34. Daria Devlin, 44. Leatra Tate, 30. And then you have Brenton Davis, who was the youngest county councilman, or I'm sorry, county executive ever, at 38 years of age. And so I'll start with Chuck, and then we'll go back to Ashland. Chuck, what does this say to you when you look at the ages of some of these newly elected candidates across these races? Yeah, so that, that's uh, be, being considered young at, uh, at 37 in this case, uh, I, I find kind of amusing, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, so one of the things to point out is there's 10 elected officials in Erie City government. Uh, half of them are in their 70s and the other half are in their 50s. So, so to, to bring in two people in their 20s and 30s is, is a stark departure from what we've had for the last quite some time. And as I keep getting pointed out, like right now I'm one of the youngest elected uh, men in all of Erie County for, uh, I mean, at 37. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming in a little under Davis on that. Um, and at my age, Senate and Flippy would have already been mayor. So, so this, is, this is not like historically such a, a uh, disparity. Uh, it's it's recently that we've had this case of of such an old um, an old representation, and and this happens. I mean, from from federal all the way down to our mm -hmm. local governments. I mean, from my my senators, uh, my well, my president, my my congressman. They're all in their seventies. My mayor's in his seventies. I mean, this is this is unique. Is is not that I'm 37 at city council. It's unique that we have a lot of 70-year-olds that are, that are still representing and, um, and, and representing consistently. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of the things that I've said about Erie in general, be it politics, uh, community leadership, 
whatever the situation is, it does seem that there is a generational gap coming from another city for a long period of time, talking to people from other cities for long periods of t that have been gone for long periods of time. I've stated this on the show before. One of the things that you do notice about Erie is that it feels like you, you've had traditionally generations missing in some key areas here. And so it's very refreshing. Ashlyn, when you look at the ages of some of these candidates, how does that make you feel as a representative of young Erie professionals? I think it's exciting. One of our biggest goals for our committee is to get younger professionals into those roles. Because like Chuck said, not, most of our representatives are in their 70s. And earlier this year, we actually did a fireside chat with Kathy Rosdick. And one of the questions that she came back at me with is, why aren't young people showing up to all these meetings and stuff? And we're like, right now we're trying to figure out what's causing that. and we're uh, deep diving into that so that way we can get people to all these meetings and stuff so that way our age group is represented more. And it's super exciting when we see uh, our age group showing up in election and getting elected into these roles because it, it is showing that our voices are gonna get heard because our perspective is different than somebody else who's in their 70s. Like we have uh, different goals. Our future plans are definitely different and everything like there's, we just have overall different perspective, and I think that's really exciting. That's exciting. So Ashlyn, I know that you have a busy schedule this morning. Before we let you go, what would you say to anyone who was, that is younger, that is considering political office, uh, becoming an entrepreneur in Erie, what do you say to, to younger people who just want to get involved and maybe they're on the fence? Um, I would say just go ahead and get involved, like deep dive into it. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Like it is going to be hard at first, like nothing's ever going to be like comfortable. So feel comfortable feeling, um, or feel comfortable feeling, hold on, how am I going to, feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Sorry, that's like a tongue twister there. Um, And like, when you're going out and like doing something, you're doing something that someone else probably hasn't done. And that speaks a lot for our age group because there's a lot that we have to go do that no one else has ever done before. So like I mentioned earlier, we do tend to like think differently than those who are older than us. And so we tend to approach things in a different way and we see things from a different perspective. So don't let anyone like stop you from going to go do your own thing. Excellent. Ashlyn Kelly, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us this morning, Young Erie Professionals. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Marcus. All right. And so let's pivot back to uh, Chuck on this conversation. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's go to Jezri. Let's talk about the turnout a little bit, because I know that, per usual, you know, the turnout is something that you always hope for high numbers, and it varies, but in general, we tend to get lukewarm numbers. Give us your thoughts on the turnout for this past election. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, Marcus, the turnout uh, was significant. Um, it was significantly higher than expected. And it was also, uh, I think, the more interesting thing is we were told constantly by the narrative, uh, the pundits, that the Democrat turnout would be very low. In fact, we found that to be incredibly wrong. Um, there was 340, I believe, 340,000 a higher Democrat turnout than the parallel election of 2017. That's four years ago when you had county executive races and, and say, the same offices that were up now, Supreme Court, Pennsylvania Supreme Court, some uh, superior court <clears throat> races of that nature. 
And specifically in Erie, uh, the Democrat turnout was actually up 12 points more than four years ago. In fact, Erie County specifically had 9,000 more people turn out this election than they did in 2017. So turnout was up much higher. Um, <clears throat> so that is uh, of note as well. And yet, and we'll dive into some of these numbers in a minute, is how interesting the changes on where people voted, who people voted for. You have things like Judge Brobson, the Republican who won statewide significantly, um, however, lost by 10,000 votes just in Erie County. And then you <clears throat> flip the script down to the Superior Court race where the Republican won by 6,000 votes countywide just in Erie. So really interesting narrative. And then more specifically, I think the, the most interesting race for folks in Erie County was the Erie County executive race. Whoever it ended up being, we were going to have a new county executive now that Kathy Dahlkemper uh, chose not to go for that third term of which she is allotted as the county executive in Erie per our home rule charter. Um, and um, Mr. Davis uh, won by 2,600 votes, I think was the final count, give or take four, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's interesting, you have the top, supposed to be the top of the ballot uh, individual being the Supreme Court candidate, Judge Kevin Bropson, uh, who did win statewide, lost by 10,000 in Erie County, but yet Brent Davis was able to win by four points uh, of 2,600 votes. So it shows a lot of voters in Erie um, aren't the same kind of voters that are in these big metropolis or Philadelphia, San Francisco, um, when they say all elections are local. And lately, the political pundits have said, let's gone away, and it's not true. Everything's become federalized. And I do agree with that sentiment, mostly. But here we found out that local candidates really do have a shot uh, at their local races, and, and Chuck's an example of one of those things as well, is how he's been able to continually improve uh, by being the local candidate. Mm, so that's an excellent segue. Chuck, speak to that, especially uh, the point about the Dem numbers being up. Talk about the turnout. Yeah, I think that's a big focus right now, especially with the uh, access to mail-in ballots. Uh, like, I didn't, this, this is the first time I've, I've voted, uh, and I didn't do it uh, the day of election. I had to drop off my campaign finance forms, and I was in the uh, I was I was already in the courthouse. So I just popped in. I was like, Ah, hey, can I can I grab a ballot while I'm in here? Here you go. Um, the the access to that, and, and you know, as we as we say that we would like to see higher voter turnout, um, you know, it gives us a better representation of of um, the population when more people are out voting. So that that increased access, making it just simply easier. And, and you know, there was they they checked all my stuff when I went to vote. You know, there was they they weren't just. You know, they, they still knew my name when they handed it to me. Um, so it was, it was nice to have that kind of access available. And I think that's really what's pushing the turnout on both sides. Um, although I think the Democrats have really, it's no longer about you know, uh, election day. For, for I think this election in particular, we were able to exercise, hey, and on November is your last chance to vote. Make sure you get your mail-in ballots in. Make sure you sh show up at the courthouse and vote. Uh, and hopefully we see that, because right now it's only at the county courthouse. I mean, I'd love to see that in all the different municipalities. It should be easier. Uh, and I think that actually affects the, the Democratic turnout, because the courthouse is right in the middle of our most dense Democratic area. I can walk to the courthouse. Dense Republican areas can't. So uh, you know, I think that's the advantage of Democrats. But you know, uh, of the countywide races, six of the seven went Democrat. Uh, and you know, they, we didn't pull them all on the state level, but six out of the seven between the uh, you know, the sheriff, clerk, the four judge race, and the county executive. Six of the seven went Democrats, so uh, clearly Democrats went to work in this county. Jessica, you brought up your work with John Persinger's campaign. An excellent job in terms of uh, getting people excited about the vote, 
A lot of people maybe dismissed him on the front end because if it was a Republican candidate, it's been a long time since we've seen that in the mayoral race in terms of someone actually winning. But he was a strong candidate. And it was, it was a great campaign. I love the fact that it was so germane on both sides. That alone, I think, was a huge example for a lot of campaigns. But when you look at how well he did, didn't win, but now you look at Brenton Davis. And so he comes in as a Republican, gets elected. So I want to talk just briefly about how people voted. So Chuck touted some numbers a second ago about the amount of Democrats who won seats that were available. But what is it saying to you, the fact that, one, Persinger got so close? Two, now you have Brenton Davis in there. Because I know from a fiscal standpoint, there's, there's often been this insistence that Erie being a Democratic stronghold is, has been one of the reasons, perhaps, why it hasn't prospered as much as it could or should have financially. And maybe it's time to get someone in there from the GOP and someone who looks more at the fiscal side of it and listens to what some people say. Give us your thoughts on all of this. And then, Chuck, I'll let you speak into that. Sure, Marcus. And, and there's a, I have a lot of thoughts on that. You know, yeah. one of it's interesting is... Um, uh, breaking the numbers down, it, it seems that Brent Davis actually pulled, and this is an estimate, about 4,000 Democratic votes countywide. So about 4,000, <clears throat> we're speculating, Democrats countywide split the ticket on the county executive, likely voted for the other county-wide uh, races and, and definitely the judge races, except for Meg Sullivan at Superior Court, um, and then turned and flipped it for Brent. He was able to appeal to them. <clears throat> largely potentially the fiscal thing. We talked about that. That was a highlight of the campaign. You know, the bankruptcy issue was brought up versus um, potentially successful businessman. Um, how did that play? And I think it was shown in the voters. But the John Persinger thing, um, what's interesting that is different from four years ago to now is we had something called, and this is actually <clears throat> coincides with the mail-in voting, the Act 77. Not going to get into that, the good, the bad, the merits. But what Act 77 did was, one, it provided more access to voters, a vote by mail. Um, it, it just made it easier for people to vote. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's what it did. The second thing that it did was it got rid of the straight party ticket vote. Um, and that was kind of the trade-off between the Republicans and the Democrats. Statewide, Republicans wanted to get rid of straight party ticket. Uh, the Democrats were motivated by easier access to elections. That was, the, uh, that was the deal that was made. So because of that, <clears throat> even looking at the John Persinger race, we, in doing breaking down the numbers, found a lot of uh, voters in the city of Erie thought John Persinger was running as a Democrat um, because they liked him so much. And we heard that from a lot of people who just went in and hit, hey, I do straight party ticket voting every time. I wanted John Persinger to win. And uh, found out they voted for the person that they didn't intend to vote for. And it was so close in that race, if that there was no straight party ticket voting, Persinger likely would be the mayor right now. Just kind of some interesting food for thought there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Moving you know, four years, and now we are at a race where uh, four years ago, Kathy Dahlkamper was uh, against R. Alagieri, the shoe businessman. Uh, only won by 300 and some change votes, largely outspent. Uh, R. Alagieri had way more name ID, a lot more commercial. She was already in Congress was the sitting incumbent, had every advantage to her, and only won by 300 votes. It should have never been that razor thin. Fast forward, Brent Davis doesn't have the straight party ticket thing working against them and had a large Democratic coalition going to work for him. Um, we saw some of the uh, names in town, uh, like Leo, um, Fiore Leone, um, I believe Carl Anderson, some other you know staples in the Democratic community who kind of went to bat for a Brent Davis and said, hey, let's kind of get rid of these party labels and let's do what we think is best for Erie. And to your point, Marcus, some of that being is we've done it so long, this spend, 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 
is there an alternative policy method that could be more attractive to you know Erie County's fiscal longevity? We're seeing people leave. Can we stop that? I want to come back to that in, in, in a second, Judge. We started talking about these 13 volunteers that were appointed by Brenton Davis. I want sure. to chat about that for a minute. Chuck, respond to some of what you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah, there, were, there was definitely some Democrats that uh, moved over for uh, Davis. Uh, Carl wasn't, uh, he wasn't he one, okay. he was not. Um, but he's on the transition team as, sure. as council president. Um, but the, Spagel was one that, that, that was went it, over. Tom Spagel, yeah. Um, so, and, and one of the things, I, you know, spending time, I, I would go out to different clubs, and I was at one of the old clubs, and I was talking to people at the bar um, about who they're voting for. And, um, you know, there was, there was some people that just had a lot of concerns, um, and, and I, think a, I think a lot of those Davis votes were votes against Tyler um, for, uh, in some case, I think pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty regressive reasons, uh, but you know I, I think I think a lot of that uh, that win is is four thousand votes that went against that went against Tyler for very regressive reasons. Um, so that plays into it sure. in yeah. a, a heavy way, and I think it can't go without uh, being noted. Chuck, I'm gonna stay with you for a second. Talk about this this notion of running Erie as a business. That's been a debate for a long time. There's always, I think, in every local government, every local municipality across the country, this push and pull of people, projects, projects, people. You know, you want to be people-centric at the same time you want your, your community to thrive economically. Where's the blend? Where's the balance? So, you know, when you look at the county executives race, that feels like that conversation alone play, played heavily into who are you voting for. We're at a point right now where it feels like more so than ever, Erie is wrestling with running Erie as a business, and in the minds of some, it's like that's what we should be doing, being very conscious of the people in Erie in the minds of others, that's what we should be leaning into. Give us your thoughts on that, and where do you think Erie is on that pendulum? Yeah, I, I hate that term. <laughs> and, and, and it's not just that I hate the idea of running government like a business. I, I, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. So I hate, I, hate, I hate when I hear about nonprofits and ministries being run like businesses. Because then you're looking at like where it is that you could extract the most revenue and, and cut down the expenses the most in, in, order to, in order to make the greatest profit. Now, I'm, I'm all about optimizing things, but as, as someone that leads a nonprofit, as someone that leads a church, I have to optimize things to make sure not that the, not that the stakeholders are the ones that are getting the most outcome, but that the people that we're caring for are getting the most outcome. And that's the big difference on the business aspect of it, is that it's not just about representing stakeholders, but it's representing the, the people at need. And, uh, and that's, that's really, it's, it's that difference in philosophy that I think really keeps me in the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. That you, you have a very unique um, profile as you come into this race. And that's one of the things that's been very interesting about you between not just the fact that you pastor a church, where you pastor a church, who a lot of your constituents are. You've had an, uh, a vantage point that a lot of people just don't bring into politics that is probably needed right now. Jezri, wrestle with that same concept, uh, running Erie like a business, being people centric. Where's the balance? What are your thoughts on that? Sure, I would actually agree a bit with uh, Chuck on, on the term running like a business. I think it's an overused buzzword. Um, I think what we actually mean to say is accountability. Mm -hmm. 
And that's where people are trying to see it. When it comes down to is, you know, what does the government do is it provides the good and services within those, you know, what they're allocated allowed to do. You know, we talk about the county executive race and we think it's going to be this end-all solution. Let's be really honest here. A county executive position is not as sexy as we've made it out to be. It's not as sexy as all the money that's been dumped in and on both sides uh, to gain control. Um, because of the home rule charter in the county, actually county council has quite a bit of uh, authority um, when it comes to county services. Um, as far as running as a business, again, I, I think the, the, what voters want to see is more the accountability. When we saw uh, good, bad, or indifferent um, how um, the Dahl Kemper administration was utilizing, let's say, the CARES Act funds and some of the plans for some other things, people want to say, is, is that the best use of the funds? And the knee-jerk reaction can't always be to spend, 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 because we've been doing that. And to your point earlier, Marcus, is, uh, is that pushing people away? Do we want to see something new? Uh, one of Davis's messages was, you know, our children are leaving. We've got to stop this, this brain drain. Um, and, and I'm one of those. I, I like to think I'm one of the few people who's trying to be part of the resistance to that and say, hey, I'm a younger guy. Uh, I like to think I'm a little bit intelligent. And I like, I love Erie. I love being here. I want to see Erie for the better. And so mm -hmm. I have I made that decision not to move away uh, and take jobs elsewhere. Where my two best friends, one lives in Rochester and one lives outside of Louisville now. Um, uh, I'm motivated by those type of plans, and a lot of voters are, especially those voters who have all seen their children go away and only get to see them on Thanksgiving and Christmas now or, you know, vacations. They want to see plans they're going to put in place. Uh, that are going to keep people here and not feel like our money is being misused. Excellent. So when you think about staying with you, Jesse, for a minute or two, on November 4th, the Erie Times published an article talking about this 13-member transition team that Brenton Davis put together. If you look at how the article was themed, GOP's Davis, county, elect, county executive elect creates transition team, picks include big donor. And so obviously the elephant in the room Roger Richards, local attorney, very, very successful businessman. In your opinion, Jezri, how should people interpret? Because it's been interesting for me to just listen to people in various circles wrestle with him being on the transition team. And so in your opinion, how should people interpret his presence on this team? Sure, yeah, that, that is the thing that was first talked about. And it's no surprise he's involved. Roger Richards, everybody knows, has been involved in every election as far back as, as my involvement. I'm sure it goes long before my time here. I'm a young, I'm a young guy. Uh, Roger Richards has been politically involved on both sides of the aisle, mind you, uh, for some time. So his entrance in the race came as no surprise to me. Um, he's been on transition things in the past. He's been advisors to statewide candidates in the past. So in one way, I do think we're, we're sort of fortunate in Erie that we have someone of that caliber who decides he wants to be involved locally. Don't forget, Roger Richard also runs uh, two businesses in town, two manufacturing companies. Um, and I believe, I can't speak for him, but my speculation is part of his motivation uh, would be to see he ha he's a business owner in town who wants to see the best environment to make sure he can grow uh, that and people can keep jobs and, and keep working here in Erie. Uh, complete speculation on my part. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not surprised to see that. I, I, I like to, that you mentioned the, the transition team. And I think the evidence of uh, Brent Davis's uh, transition team is also evidence of how he plans on governing. Um, I think we should all be encouraged by this. And I also think we should hope the best. Um, before Erie, as we tend to do, and spiral against ourselves, uh, 
and, and want to see someone fail. If Brent Davis fails as county executive, we fail as citizens of Erie County. So if you're a person of faith, I would hope that you would pray for the transition and pray uh, that only good things come of this, regardless of your political affiliation. Mm -hmm. And the second side of it is, is it's such a politically diverse group. Um, and even Brent Davis in his uh, kind of acceptance speech, if you will, on the news that happened the day, two days following once they officially announced, you know, he said, let's put these party affiliations aside. Mm -hmm. Let's truly go and let's be what I like to, you know, I've heard it coined so I can't claim it, but the party of Erie. Because if we have that mentality and we do this party of Erie scenario and we say, what's best for Erie, not what's best for the Democrat party, not what's best for the GOP, collectively, we're gonna see success, and I really hope that happens. From a diversity standpoint, as you pointed out, you've got Carl Anderson, obviously ran as a Democrat on this committee, Dr. Paris Baker, um, standout African-American gentleman from the, cler from the clerical community. He's sure. also a professor at Gannon University, Fiore Leone, Democrat again, Chuck Scalise, uh, Reverend Kevin Nelson, another African-American pastor. And so, uh, Chuck, going back to you, speak into this, this transition committee. As you look at how this committee is formed, what were some of your initial thoughts, um, especially being that you're now in a position where you'll be speaking into what's going on in the city, and obviously there's a lot of crossover between what's going on in the city and the county. Yeah, it's funny because on social media there was uh, some outcry with a lot of the most progressive Democrats as to like, you know, how could those people work with them? And it's it's a well, you have to. I mean, there's no way around that. And uh, I, you know, I reached out to him the day after election and said, hey, if there's city stuff, uh, you know, I found a mutual friend that could pass on the number and said, hey, if there's city stuff that, you know, please please work with us. Um, and and that's important about keeping those lines of communication open. Um, so so we're, you know. This, the election's settled, now it's all about Erie from here on out. Uh, we got four years of working with people. Uh, I hope we kick his butt in four years. Uh, you know, that's, is that fair to say? Uh, but you know, we're, we're, we're fine. You know, the elections are time we fight. The rest of the time we're fighting together for Erie. So uh, I'm happy about that. Uh, one thing, I want to run back to something. You, know, you were talking about taxes chasing young people away and uh, you know, young Erie professionals talking about that. Uh, what, I'm looking at city budgets primarily, but I spent last month, I went out to the fastest growing city in the nation that's of Erie's size. And I spent time with their city council and I looked over their budget, which is double the size of ours. And when we talk about different cities and how they're growing, like, you know, you could say about these Sunbelt cities that are growing in, in contrast to the Rust Belt cities, but it's not like Austin, Texas is being run by some like cowboy Republicans. That's about as progressive of a city as you get. And that's where the growth's happening. Uh, you know, this, this idea that Erie's declining because of democratic leadership. Uh, and, and I, I want to see people that bring ideas and bring progressive ideas, which is typically more on the Democratic side. But when you get a guy like Persinger versus Schember, I'm not sure which one's more progressive. I think that's where you pull a lot of the votes from the, the, uh, the Democratic base for that. So, you know, uh, you know running, running the city with an efficient government doesn't mean necessarily that we need to cut the budget down. Mm -hmm. Right now it's under 100 million. Good luck finding another city of 100,000 people with a budget that small. I just would like to see it shifted off of home ownership and, and that issue. Uh, you know something, Chuck, I'm very glad that you said that a second ago in terms of how some people were received from accepting positions um, as, a, as an appointee of Brenton Davis's new committee. And if their political ideology didn't necessarily line up, that it was they were kind of excoriated over it. Like, why would you do that? You have to work together. I'm very glad that you mentioned that. It makes me think about a, a situation with, on a national level, Steve Harvey, the comedian and, well, jack of all trades at this point. He talked about him working with Dr. Ben Carson, about him getting an initiative off the ground with um, 
homeless people and, and utilizing an old school. And Dr. He spoke to President Trump about it. President Trump put him in touch with Dr. Carson, Secretary of Housing at the time, and they started to talk about how to make this a reality. He was lambasted for that. And he was like, what am I supposed to not talk to this man about doing something for the people I'm passionate about? And so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Let's segue a little bit. Erie County United, because I, it obviously was noted, you've got Jasmine Flores, Lauren Gillespie, Leatra Tate, these, and then, you know, also Lydia Lace. she didn't win, but she was a strong candidate. Erie County United, you think about them, obviously this is a grassroots organization who is completely people-centric. And then you look at the election of Brenton Davis and you, you add in the ARP funds and the cries for equity and you've got this moment right now that it feels like a local version of Game of Thrones, right? Everybody's trying to go to the Iron Throne. And so in this moment, Jezreel, we'll start with you. How do we wrestle with the issue of equity? What can not just Davis, but elected candidates in general do, in your opinion, to make everybody feel like we are collectively moving eerie forward? Because everybody utilized that theme to some degree. Yeah. But that's always the argument, like, well, who are we moving forward? What should these candidates do to lean into that and bring it to fruition? And then, Chuck, I'll let you speak to this afterwards as well. Sure. It's, it goes to, I'm glad Chuck brought up, you know, going to other cities and seeing what they're doing well. You know, it doesn't have to be a Republican-Democrat thing. Now, we do see the states that tend to be more Republican, and it's just, it's just a strong correlation. You could say there's no causation, but do tend to be run by Republicans statewide. A lot of times, that's their state st tax structure and incentives. But what a county executive and, and I think also uh, city leaders, mayor, city council, things like that, how do you attract them? How do you, pr you know, promote equity? Look at Pittsburgh. That's far from Republican. They are, uh, were a Rust Belt considered town, steel industry, no, no surprise there. They're able to reinvent themselves. They went out and got you know, their big tech start, a lot of mini tech startups professionally from my day job. I work with a lot of these guys all the time. Um, a lot of robotics now is really big in the Pittsburgh area. We need the county executive and the mayor to work together to be the biggest cheerleaders for Erie. They need to say, you have this new project, you want to grow this new thing, come here, roll out the red carpet, and that per, to provide attractive jobs where everyone has an opportunity and do it in places in our more densely populated areas. It's no surprise we have plenty of real estate available. Uh, just go look at West 12th Street, right? There's a lot of places uh, for those businesses to grow. We, when you say Erie Forward, I, I think it's an overused political term that we saw uh, the Dahlkamp administration use for eight years, moving Erie Forward, moving Erie Forward. Um, from an accountability standpoint, what has been moved forward in eight years? We got bike trails. It's really great if you're motivated by the biking community and you're an avid biker. I'm an avid outdoorsman. I love to go on hikes. I love to take my kids out. I, Marcus sees me taking my kids all the time. We live near each other. Um, but we need someone who's going to do more than just that. They have to absolutely hustle and get these things out there. I'll give you a concrete example. A few years back, um, the governor of Virginia sent an iPad-specific tailored message to a local business person that I will not name and said, hey, as uh, a manufacturer, I heard you're looking to expand. Come to Virginia. What do I got to do to get you and you're expanding several hundred new employees in my state? That's amazing. That was coming from a Democrat. We need to see whoever the people in the county executive and the city of Erie to even get in those people who are in the Pittsburgh area who are looking to expand and say, Come up to Erie. We've got low cost of living. We've got access to a lot of things. This is the place that you can grow your business and to keep those young, 
talent pool that we see. Erie's got a lot of great talent. We see them leaving to keep them here and say there is a future here, but it's incumbent on lead. This is the difference between a leader and a manager. A manager manages what's going on and kind of hopes for the best. A leader takes that initiative and goes out and brings them in. And that's what we need to see happen. So let me bring Chuck in on this. Chuck, I want you to speak to that. But as I pointed out earlier, I want you to, to talk to this, this equity and this ARP dollar piece as well. And then we'll come back to you, Jezri. Because with these ARP dollars, Liz Allen, who again pulled in the most votes for city council, said that if she was if elected before and she wanted to focus focus on making sure that Erie effectively allocates its roughly $78 million in ARP money, American Rescue Plan funding. Um, give us your thoughts on that, and then I want you two to think about, you know, in your opinions, how should that be utilized and can, and can it be utilized in order to um, be the catalyst for equity in this county? Yeah, so this, this ARP money is, is pretty interesting to see how much Erie has, because as, as I was talking about traveling to other spots, I was talking to the city councilwoman in Longmont, Colorado about it, and I was like, you know, isn't this a huge influx? She's like, oh, I mean, it's like 12 million. I was like, oh, you're getting way less money than us. And then I look at the numbers from Allentown, and they're getting, they're getting uh, like about half as much as us. And then I look at the money going to Youngstown, and they're getting even more than us with, with half the population. So, so the, the administration really focused on getting it out to cities that were, that were seeing decline as a, as a once-in-a-generation chance to offset that. Right. And when you look at the, uh, you know, we talk about equity and inclusion issues, like, these are areas that, in particular, the people of color and the, the impoverished communities are being left behind at a greater rate. When you look at where Erie has declined, the 9,000 people that have left Erie City, they're all white people. I mean, the, the black population has stayed steady, the Hispanic population has stayed steady, the white population left. And I think a lot of that comes down to where opportunity is, and if you have the opportunity to leave, people have been leaving. And that's part of the brain drain that's come with it. So, so if we're going to rebuild a base of it, we need to make sure that everybody has opportunity, but not opportunity to leave, opportunity that keeps them here. And, um, and so when we look at how this money is being spent, I want to make sure that it's not being spent. I want to make sure it's being invested. That it's not being spent on stuff that is increasing programs that are for a limited time that we're going to have to cut in four years when the money's gone, and then we're going to be left with a pension liability. That's like the worst case scenario. If we add a couple dozen cops to the force and are left with their pension liabilities in five years, that's going to be terrible. But if we're using it for business investment, grants, home improvements, home ownership, things that we could use to root the community, if the money's going there, then this money isn't being spent, it's being invested. And that's, I think, really the key thing. But half of it's gonna be spent before I even get to vote on it. So I don't know what I get to do. ARP dollars specifically, Jezri, what are your thoughts on that? And, and, and in your opinion, how should Erie move to utilize those funds in the community, not just the city, but the county as well? Yeah, I, I love what Chuck just said, and let's see there we are. Here's a conservative, and, and I imagine you're, you're of the liberal persuasion, or at least a Democrat. Uh, we agree. We agree. And I think we should be really cautious to be a need, have any knee-jerk reactions on how this money is spent. If we want to do the best, we need to invest this and not spend this. Uh, I like that Chuck is now in city council and he's already concerned about pension liabilities. Across the state, That's Pennsylvania's actually biggest a threat to our fiscal longevity and that I'm not going to get in a whole pension reform right now, but it is a concern. And oftentimes when these types of money come down, these are not thought of. We're thinking about the short and near term and we need to be thinking about 10 and 30 years from now for the next generation, not people that are worried about their next election. Um, that's really important. So my advice is to let's take a little bit of time and let's make sure we're doing the right things. Bring everybody to the table. Have those conversations. Make sure not every no, people aren't being left out. I, I would like 
like to think the Davis administration has already started to show their hand, his hand rather, uh, on some of that, that that's kind of how the approach that he's going to take with some of this. To Chuck's point, it does seem the current administration, uh, both at the city and the county level, they look like they're trying to spend as much as they can before uh, the new year. Um, I think that's unfortunate. My advice is have some caution. The people who are going to be running things the next four years, let them have a say. Mm. So what's been noticed by a lot of people is the, the dynamic between the uh, county executive and the mayor for the last few years. I know Kathy Dahlkemper and Mayor Schimber have been, been spending a lot of time together. They have been really deferring to one another on a lot of different issues. And so that brings to mind the question of what will the dynamic be between the new county executive and our sitting mayor? Mayor Schimber ran unopposed. Jezri, I'll start with you. You don't have to speak into this chunk if you choose not to. From a mayoral standpoint, give us in your mind uh, Schimber's grade. He's been there four years again. Um, for the general ran on a pose. Give us your opinion of, of the job that he's done thus far. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to say that out loud. I'd, you know, uh, no surprise. I was, you know, the lead opposition against him to come. But, you know, I've been very friendly. He's been very friendly with me, and sure. he's a very friendly guy. And that's been one of his strong suits. Um, I think there is something to be desired in the passion and the energy that he brings to the office. And I go back to my earlier point is we need the mayor to be an advocate for the city of Erie. Um, COVID really puts such a, a, a tailspin into, into policy proposals and in policy carrying out things like that because no one expected that. So it's, uh, I don't want to be unfair um, because nobody, there's no playbook for this. We were all making it up as we went. Um, so I think for the most part, a lot of people did the best uh, with what they uh, were given. Uh, and so that's kind of hard to judge in that sense. So I'll withhold a great judgment. I do think there could be more activity on uh, reaching out to all parts of the community. I think there could be more activity on including the business community, by the way, who um, by day I speak with, uh, with great regularity. And a lot of them feel a little left out. And a lot of them feel like they're not, uh, they don't matter. And that's where the jobs come. I would rather have 300 small businesses that employ 15 people than that one large business that employs 3,000, because mm. that's how these things grow. And so when we talk to ARP money, we need to find and encourage those things and encourage those businesses, by the way, that are already existing and are trying to grow. Let's help them you know, give that nudge that they need to keep going to hire people here in Erie. Uh, a lot of them do pay very good wages, um, and I'd like to see that continue. Chuck, give us your thoughts on the uh, Shimber administration. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to working with them. Uh, so there's, there's certain areas where we need to have a lot of innovation, we need to have a lot of energy, and I think that's, you know, four years ago, one of the things that uh, attracted a lot of the Democrats to John Person, because I remember him running up to my door in a suit and some trainers, because uh, that was easier for him to run in, right? Uh, you know, that was the kind of energy that I think attracted a lot of Democrats, and I think we need that kind of energy. Um, I think, I think Schember has taken uh, more action than we saw previously with Senate. Um, I think that Lerda has demonstrated a great boost for the future of Erie. Uh, you know that that is incentives that he's providing now uh, that was that was pushed for the future. Uh, I think that the the there's a number of areas that were uh, a slight improvement that uh, as he's lined up. Uh, as he's lined up some different budget issues. Uh, the police contract he gave was uh, much better. It extends the time it takes for police to make it up to that class A level from three years to six years. It reduces the raises over time, because right now our police are getting 20,000 more than, uh, than your average cop in Pittsburgh. They're getting paid more than NYPD Blue. Um, so there's certain stuff like that where he's taken stances to sort of amend issues that have been happening. 
Um, and, and, and then it's a matter of, uh, as we have different stuff like you know decline, we need to celebrate the wins. And he's been a good cheerleader for the city. Um, there's some stuff that I'd love to see him cheerlead more. Uh, in the tri-state area of New York, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, we have the lowest crime rate of any city of 85,000 people or more. Like, I feel like everyone in Erie should know that. Right. Like, we should just consistently know that we are the safest city in a tri-state area. Because people talk about leaving it because of danger, where they say, oh, you live downtown with your family? It's like, yeah, of course. It's, it's the safest city in the tri-state area. Why wouldn't I? Um, you know, so we need, we need steady cheerleading. I think Joe's been a good cheerleader. Mayor Schumber's been a good cheerleader. Mm -hmm. give, us, give us an opinion of, we'll start with you, Jezri, your opinion of the development that you see going on in downtown Erie, along the Bayfront, you see the, the rise of the, the, over the last few years of the neighborhood organization. Certainly Best has been here for several decades, but you see in various po pockets these different organizations springing up to say, we will represent this part of town, we will represent th that part of town. You know, from a development standpoint, uh, give us your opinion, where's Erie going and how positive do you feel about what you're seeing play out so far? I feel more positive than I did 10 years ago. Um, and I think that's evidence, you know, Chuck and I are, are young, younger uh, people in Erie. We have families here and we want, uh, I, I would think Chuck wants, I want, you know, opportunities for my three children to stay here longer. So I really look forward to seeing what Erie looks like in five years from now compared to what it looked like five years ago. Um, I'm very optimistic about some of that. It did seem like for years there was... That, and that's why a lot of these kind of, you know, managed decline, these kind of buzzwords were used because there was so much stagnation. There was no ideas. There was no one taking action. Um, now, this coupling of a lot of the neighborhood groups who have taken an active, as they should, interest in where they live and doing the best. And I think Chuck makes a great point, you know. It wasn't that long ago we were in the news constantly about the shootings and there was a lot of negativity, a lot of hostility uh, that was happening and there was a lot of us versus them in the city and it was, it was not a good look. And we were in the news too much for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, for ESPN to come in and do a series on, on the basketball and some of the families that were fighting, uh, that's the wrong reasons. I want ESPN and, and CBS the next time to come in and say, hey, look at where this Rust Belt City was two decades ago and look at where they're at now. It can happen. And I do think, you know, to the other one of the talking points that we should not be wearing with a badge of honor, that something should have been done long before, you know, Persinger got involved in the downtown stuff and some of these other guys who have now taken of interest. And by the way, has caught on to some of the vision and they've been taking their own money and doing these things is that we have the poorest zip code in the country down the Lower East Side. That's embarrassing. Um, and I hate to say that we have to say that to get a little bit of attention from the federal government to get some of those more monies than the Allentowns and things of that nature. And that's part of the reason why some of that has happened. That's unfortunate. I don't know why our previous leaders has not solved that and, and immediately put their, lie, their foot in the sand and said, nope, not on my watch. But we saw too many managers managing decline and not taking action. So I hope it looks better. I hope the Davis administration plays a role in that. I hope uh, Mayor Joe Schember plays a role with the Davis administration. They continue to work together well. I will say, you know, we we're talking about the point of grade. I was really disappointed when one of the, you know, Schember was billed as the, he was the finance guy. He's the guy really good with balancing the checkbook. And then we saw the whole situation with the water authority. Um, and then so oh, we'll use this to pay off debt. Turns out, they weren't able to pay off the debt with that. He, someone never read the contract and never advised him or he didn't take the time. That's discouraging for some, a young person like me. We want to see leaders who are taking the time, doing the efforts. Our public officials, it's not, you know, it's now it's become this kind of cool thing. You're trying to get the selfies all the time and, and post it or whatever. 
the people who are going to be efficient in, in helping my hometown of Erie, which I love, are going to be the boring politicians who are out there just in the nuts and bolts. That's what we need to see more of. I want to go back to just something you mentioned a second ago, the, the, the ESPN story with the shooting. Yeah. And certainly we don't want to be on anybody's front page or anybody's 30 for 30 about a shooting. But that particular instance actually spoke to the strength of our citizens, if you think about it, because with that story, you had the coach, the son of the coach, murdered the brother of the assistant coach. And you had these warring factions. The story was primarily themed around these two gentlemen kept their team together amidst the infighting. I think it spoke re really well to the soul of Erie. Certainly the shooting aspect of it, though, not what we want to be known for whatsoever. Chuck, let's go to you. you. You look at everything that's going on in Erie. How do you feel about what you see? Yeah. I I want to be a guy that measures stuff, right? So, you know, when we take these violent examples, 23 violent crimes per 1,000 people. We can compare that to other cities. We can see where we stand, and we can say, hey, good job. Uh, we can look at the population. We can say, hey, we've lost this many people in these particular sects uh, and tracts of the community. This is where we're declining. Uh, we can look at median household income. You're talking uh, about the 16501 zip code, median household incomes just under 11,000. I mean, that's policies from the 70s. I mean, we the stuff that hasn't been fixed on that, um, you know, not looking to displace any of those thousand households, but looking to bring in uh, mixed income communities so that so that we have uh, an opportunity to see success around us and uh, and hopefully be driven towards it. I just want to see the numbers and I want to be able to grow them um, and to put them in the right direction, whether that be for the budget, whether that be for quality of life, whether that be what uh, crime and uh, issues of safety in the city. Like, let's look at the numbers, let's be analytical about it, and let's look at what other places have done to improve those numbers, let's implement them, and let's win. Because uh, until we start, until we start uh, knowing how to keep score, we're not gonna know how to win. And I wanna be competitive about this stuff. Chuck, you started with a very passionate story about a, uh, a homeless gentleman and, and the situation he ran into, and that actually was one of the things that motivated you to wanna run for public office in the first place. And so as we head toward the finish line of this show, Talk a little bit about some of the fears, the concerns, the issues that you've heard from people, whether it's on the campaign trail, people that you know personally, be it at your church, your neighborhood, some of the themes that you've heard consistently that you think have merit. And Jezra, I want you to think about this as well in some of the circles that you run in. You represent those voices right now. What do you think people really, really need from what you've been hearing from, from everyday constituents in this moment? I mean, more than anything in Erie, it's going to be jobs. You know, this is, this is one of those things where even as our population hasn't declined the way some other cities has, it's because, um, you know, our, our unemployment rate, one of those measurable things, is usually pretty good. It's the wages that are so terrible. So people are leaving our city for higher wages, and people aren't willing to come in because the wages are lower. So we need to find uh, areas that we can increase the wages. Like, like what I said I, when I was out in Colorado, that city had expanded high-speed internet as a public utility to the whole city. And I looked at the councilwoman and I was like, we just can't do that in Pennsylvania because state legislators banned it after Philadelphia started working on it. And she like, laughed at me. She goes, it was illegal here too. We just did it. What are they going to do? And now 28% of their jobs are tech jobs, typically drawing in young professionals. They've got businesses coming in for the highest speed internet in the nation. And you look at this and you're like, okay, well, I see what our problems is, are. I can measure them. I can see what other places are that are succeeding in those areas of problem. I can then see what they did. How do we implement it? What resources do we have to bring that together? Let's copy the smart kids. Mm -hmm. And because nobody's, nobody's going to hit us for cheating. I've never seen a city get an F for cheating. <laughs> right. 
If you can cheat and get away with it, if you could copy the smart kids, let's get A's, let's start competing, let's start winning on these things. You referred to it briefly, but Allentown, I know that in terms of cheat off the smart kids, the land value tax, I don't know if you spoke to it specifically in that last segment. Very quickly before we go back to Jesri, talk about what it is about that land value tax that you thought Erie could imitate and why we should pay attention to that. Yeah. So. Hey, and, and Allentown and Reading have both passed us recently. Both in the 90s have had major things where they brought home rule charter, and we have not. We're still stuck in a third-class city code, which a third of the cities that were in that have departed from uh, because it's a failing system. And then the other thing is Allentown implemented uh, an, a city revitalization investment zone downtown, or theirs was an, a NIS rather than a CRIS, uh, and then they implemented a uh, land value tax. And what this is is that I have a house right next to me that is the same square footage on the same plot of land that's paying half as much taxes as me because it's a deadbeat landlord. Yeah, and he's not deadbeat, but like, you know, he hasn't done anything to improve it as much as I have in the last few years. Uh, so his house is assessed at less value than mine because he's extracting value from the community, whereas I'm investing it, and I'm being penalized for that. We have the same amount of land. Whoever maximizes that land should not be penalized. So um, I posted a study. I had a, a Center for Tax Reform do a little study. And, and this would save Erie City residents, people that live in their houses, $1.2 million. So when people are complaining about the sewer fees, when they're complaining about the rainwater fees and all of these types of issues that are increasing as costs go up, this literally offsets it. We could have those people on a fixed income living in their houses that have been there for 40 years pay less in tax and still instead take that revenue from people that are sitting on empty plots of land that are withholding development, that are holding this city back and just waiting for the rest of the city to come up so that they could profit on that, those are the people that I'm willing to hit with a little harder penalties. Jezri Friend, take us home. What do you think that people need in this city in this mm -hmm. moment based on what you're hearing and what are your hopes and aspirations for the Davis administration uh, versus what you're hearing that people need? So I don't think I have time to say all those things. Uh, but I, I agree quite a bit with Chuck on some of us. It does come down to jobs. That's, as we, you know, people vote with their checkbook. They vote with, you know, are, are you doing better than you were three years ago? If you're not, what are we going to do to change that? And that's evidence, by the way, with this last election is people realize we don't like the direction we're going. And um, many people cross party lines and says, let's give this guy a shot. So Mr. Davis has a tall order to fill is, can he live up to some of the promises he made? <clears throat> can he provide some uh, people of your county a different way to do it? Uh, Chuck mentioned uh, the NIS and stuff that happens in other towns that have already done this. It's no secret, it's been in the news for some time. Senator Laughlin has been pushing the CRIS. Uh, this is something that the mayor has to request specifically from the governor. I would really hope, we're asking the grade of the mayor, I really hope he takes advantage of this and listens to Senator Laughlin. I know uh, Mr. Davis has spoke about this on his campaign, and we engage with the governor's administration, hopefully get a quiz and things that is actually going to help our community. Let's put the political uh, identities to the side. We can't, we can't afford any more political division. We've had enough of it. I've had enough. I'm sure a lot of your listeners had enough. So what do I want to see in the future? I want to see that go away. I want to see Erie win for the sake of Erie winning. I like Chuck's measured approach to things. I like the way he's saying we got to look and see if those things are working and let's cheat off the good. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Other people are doing things the right way for so long we've chosen to look the other way and not take the initiative. What I want to see is seeing more initiative taken and better things coming to Erie. And I really think uh, the Davis administration, you're going to see a lot of that. Well said. Ashlyn Kelly, Young Area Professionals, we want to thank her for coming on the show. Sharp Iron Strategies, Jezri Friend, we want to thank Jezri for coming on the show. And City Councilman-elect Chuck Nelson, we want to thank Chuck for coming on to the show. And we want to thank you, the viewer and the listener, 
for taking time again and choosing next with Marcus Atkinson on WQLN. Tune in next time where we will tackle issues both locally and abroad. Here on WQLN, we can catch the show every month on the fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. on 91.3 FM. For next on WQLN, I'm Marcus Atkinson. We will see you next time.